Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Good evening and welcome to Miracles in Recovery. I am in the studio alone again. Thank you, Ellen. I'm so sorry. No, you're not. You're, you're, here, you're not here more <laughs> no, than you I are. Really am. I really am. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I'm life not. just gets to be too big, you know? Yeah, actually, I'm not in the studio alone. If you hear dogs barking, then you'll know who's in the studio with me. Yeah, I was going to um, say, you probably got at least three dogs and two cats in there with you. <laughs> well, no, I don't know where the cats are. I gave them catnip, and they're sleeping somewhere. Ah, um, you drugged them, huh? Yeah, that I did. You know, it saddens me that, uh, you know, last week when, when I when I heard the music in my ears again, I was like, okay, we're back. La- you know, when we miss a week because of vacation or because of a holiday or something like that, it kind of kind of throws me out of uh, out of whack that Monday. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what to do with my Monday. I had no clue what to do last Monday. I know. Isn't that yeah. weird? Yeah, it, it's crazy. I, I look forward to Mondays at 8 o'clock in the evening. Me too, and, and and it is very strange, and it seems like we have an awful lot of holidays that fall on Monday. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, d- didn't they make them that way? Didn't they make a lot of them? Well, they, when we were kids, of them, Memorial Day yeah. and Labor Day, but I don't know about, you know, it just seems like a lot of the rest of them fall, or at least they have this year. I don't know. Well, no, I think what they do is, I mean, I remember when we were kids, it used to fall on the day, but I think what they did was they moved it to... The Monday. Yeah, so that you could have a three-day weekend. Yeah, Which yeah. Nice yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Well, we have Suzanne Hemke on the line with us. She's an, she's the author of Healing Scarred Hearts, a family story of addiction, loss, and finding light. Hi, Suzanne. How are you? Yeah, hi, Ray. I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, th- thank thank you for reaching out and, and wanting to be part of uh, the, the show. I mean, it, you know, uh, we do have a um, worldwide audience, so you may ultimately receive an email from one of our friends in Ireland or Russia or, uh, you know, somewhere else where we're heard. Sure. Um, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. Now, tell us a little bit about your book. First, why don't, why don't we, why don't you give a little description of what the book is and how people can find it, how they can find you, and then we will we'll go from there into questions and conversation or whatever. Sure, I would love to do that. Yes, so I wrote the book, Healing Scarred Hearts. Um, it is my personal story and my family's personal story and my son Hayden's personal story that we did lose from from addiction in 2014. And so the book is everything that our family went through um, and, and the hard, the, you know, we learned the hard way what it means to be an, an addict and substance abuse. So I wrote the book um, just to share our story in hopes to help other families and other kids um, to understand what it means to be an addict and that it can happen in any family. And so um, you can find my book um, at healingscarredhearts.com. It can also be found at addictionimpacts.com. 
I do have a Facebook page, and um, you can look me up at Healing Scarred Hearts. Um, the book can also be be found on Amazon and purchased there as well, and uh, many other uh, book distributors um, are selling my book as well. And um, I just hope that again the story can can really help a lot of people and um, they can understand what it means to have an addict living in your home, especially when they they start so young like my son did at the age of uh, 13 and 14 years old. And how, how old was he when you lost him? We lost him at 22, just before wow. his 23rd birthday. Very sad, very sad. And and the impact, like Ellen, Ellen is a mother of an addict an, and I am a yeah I'm an addict mom and um I, I well you don't like it the way I say that either well it's an identity <laughs> I'm the addict mom okay yeah <laughs> um what was I gonna say yes and, and I'm and I'm a recovering addict so um and and I've had a little bit of experience with the heartbreak of losing someone you know, a loved one to not a brother or a sister, but, you know, um, people almost just as close, if not closer to, uh, you know, to addiction. And, you know, I, I could always, because I wasn't a quote unquote family member, I could always kind of deflect my pain a little bit because I would use that as justification. Well, they weren't really, you know, they weren't really a family member when they meant more to me sometimes than people that were in my own family. That has Mm -hmm. to be, that has to be so heartbreaking and debilitating when, um, when you get the news that, I mean, give, give us a little bit of a, a background on, on who Hayden was and, what ultimately came to pass? Sure. So um, Hayden, Hayden was a great kid. I mean, he was very funny. He was very entertaining. He could just light up a room. Um, you know, he was a, a straight-A student up until about eighth grade. We had never had any problems at all. And um, he began having a little bit of some anxiety, we believe. Uh, we did were not aware of it at the time, um, maybe around in ninth grade. And this is when he began starting to experiment a little bit with alcohol and marijuana. And as time went on, um, this just really escalated for him. And, I mean, when I say when time went on, I think probably, you know, he can remember the first or second time of smoking marijuana, and it was just like the best feeling for him. Mm-hmm. And that's all he was able to start thinking about, which really impacted, um, you know, his relationships at home, and it impacted his ability to, to go to school. Um, and then as, as it even spiraled more into prescription abuse, and then eventually as time went on, it, it spiraled into um, harder drugs, um, trying cocaine, and then his drug of choice became heroin. And heroin is the, the drug that eventually did take his life by overdose, and um, it was the worst day of my life. My, my husband and I actually found my son in his apartment um, when he was 22, and um, he had overdosed, and we did not find him soon enough, and we did uh, lose him um, July 11th of 2014. Oh, wow. So, so you just had the fourth anniversary. I'm sorry? I said you just had your fourth anniversary then of, of his death. Yes. 
That is correct, and you know, it makes it even harder, and it was just so shocking to us that the day that we found him, um, July 11th, July 11th also represents the day that my husband and I married on, and so, you know, we, we found him the same day that we were celebrating a wedding anniversary, so every year it is very tricky for us to um, to have to mourn the loss of our son, but also, you know, celebrate our love for each other and right. the many years that we have been together. Well, let me oh, let me goodness. ask you with let me ask you with with um, with writing the book has that put it in any different perspective for you? I mean, I know it it has to be, especially having the memory of finding him um has it has has writing the book freed any of that up at all yes it it really has um you know and when i when i first started writing the book or even thinking about writing the book um i had no idea that actually you know writing the book itself could be very therapeutic um it could be it could help me bring closure um helped me to be able to cope and deal better um, with the loss of my son and with the tragedies that our family experienced. And um, so, yes, it has been, it's a great experience for me actually to write the book. And then um, now that I've written it and time has passed and people are starting to talk to me about it and doors are opening and others are feeling comfortable to to talk with me and, and bring their own family issues up and their their loved one or their kid that's, you know, starting to abuse substances and struggle, it continues to just um, to, to really help me because I'm, I know that I'm helping other people and able to, to help other people understand substance abuse and addiction, but to also help others find closure um, when they do lose someone. And I actually don't want to say closure. I don't think mm-hmm. I'm ever closed off from my son, so I don't want to say that, um, but find a way to to deal with the loss and be able to move on. Right. I, yeah. I, I, I go ahead, Alan. Well, I was just going to say you you are living. You know what what happened to you is my ultimate fear, and I think you know any parent of an addict also has that as the ultimate fear. You know that you're you're going to lose your child to the disease, and I, you know yeah. I just want to applaud you for taking your tragedy and. And being able to use it in this way, I know I, I read your book and and was in tears for a lot of it because you know one of the things I always tell Ray is all addicts seem to end up the same way. You know mm-hmm. they they tend to do the same things, and you know I know your son was in treatment, my daughter was in treatment multiple times, and you know it's so heartbreaking when it doesn't. And this is a quote unquote work. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. I, I just there there are there are so many layers. There's so many diff, you know ways that, that our journeys are the same. Uh, and just the thing that, well, I that think, shocked I think me the I, most when this happened to me was you know how does this happen to a nice middle class family? It's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And Correct. it does. It does. And I think that that you know you're you're getting out there and you're talking about that. You know, it can happen to anybody. It really can. It can right. it can happen to everybody, not anybody, everybody. Everybody is everybody is susceptible to. You know, I remember when um for a long time and and you just said it can happen to anybody and I remember saying it'll never happen to me. 
and though and everything that I said it'll never happen to me happened to me you know mm-hmm. um and fortunately enough I said one time I will never get clean it'll never happen to me I'm a hopeless cause and I proved myself wrong on February 28 1989 and I've never had to use a substance again my my drug of choice was heroin as well so I can relate to I can relate to the place that your family went because I'm sure my family drove this you know drove down that same road I mean we're not from the same neighborhood but we lived the same life and and you know sadly or fortunately enough I made it through the storm and sadly Hayden didn't you know he made he right. made it through the storm in a different way and mm-hmm. you know I I like Ellen said I mean I totally commend you for putting pen to paper and letting people know who you are one thing they told me when I first started coming around is is if I didn't change who I was I wouldn't stay and I truly believe that if family members don't change who they are they can also revert back to the madness of you know the addict's behavior whether the addict is in recovery has passed mm-hmm. or anything the family can stay just as crazy and yes, correct. you know some of the things you know like like writing a book frees all that up because you just for lack of a better word you told on yourself you mm-hmm. told your family's yeah. story <laughs> yeah. yeah and that has to be commendable i mean it has to be not commendable that is very commendable that has to be um like freeing in a way i mean it's it's a sad yeah reason why you had to do it but it has to kind of free up some of that pent up you know and 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 very much so and and i i felt such a responsibility i mean i think you know when when we lost him and then as the days begin to pass and then months begin to pass and i i sat there thinking about it every single day and all these things were going through my head and all the the things we missed at the very first stages and the everything that we did not understand and we were not educated about and we never even expected or thought about any of our kids using substances and, and becoming an addict and so all of these things that i began thinking about i just I just started going, oh my goodness, you know, there's so many friends and families and people out there that could possibly go through what we have been through and not even know it's coming, or mm-hmm. if they are living in it, they're ashamed like we were, and they're embarrassed like we were, and so I just wanted to lift as much as I can of the shame and the embarrassment and the stigma, and I just felt a responsibility to to just help other people understand that it's okay to talk about it. And I think, you know, um, I think the thing that we we can start reversing the numbers or things can start getting better if families will start thinking about it now, or young parents especially with young kids, if they can just educate themselves and, and take some time to be interested in what's going on and, and listen to and understand the opioid crisis and understand what synthetic drugs are and understand about your doctor's prescriptions. And there's just so much um, awareness and education that, that needs to happen now um, for, for young families and even families that are going through the crisis to, to slow down this overdose epidemic that we are living in. How did your other children respond to you 
writing the book or publishing the book. I mean, because they were a part of it. Right. And yeah, they were my husband and my kids were a, a big part of the story, mm-hmm. and we had other crises that unfolded while my my son uh, Hayden was experiencing all of his substance abuse and addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did ask each one of them specifically, "Are you okay with me telling our story and sharing everything we went through?" And specifically, each one of them, "Are you okay with me sharing what you went through?" Um, and then I asked my husband the same thing, you know, are, are you okay with this? And I think there was a part of us, especially when the book was released, that we were still nerv- a little bit nervous. I mean, we were completely, you know, unfolding and I don't want to say airing out our dirty laundry, but just everything was coming out that, that mm-hmm. we had dealt with. But I think we, we knew it could only help. And even if there were those that, you know, might still judge us, that we were, we were willing to deal with that. And just also continue to try to try to help people, you know, understand what we went through, and we share our story to hopefully ease the pain that other people could go through, or maybe that they're even in now um, with any of these these areas that we talk about in the book, or that I write about in the book. Right, and you know the the uh, the, the thing about it, the thing about it is, is I guess I would probably you know, being the selfish addict inside, I would probably say, well, why is she telling on me too? But I'm from a, you know what I mean? I have a different mindset. You know what I mean? I have the addict's Mm -hmm. mindset. So, you know, it'd be like, well, why is she picking on me now? You know, but I I, I, I totally understand um, where... On that note, I I did forget my son Hayden because he and I had a lot of time to talk and I did... I also do this for him. He, when he was clean for two years uh, before he relapsed, and we talked a lot, and he tried to share with me what he was feeling and what was in his mm-hmm. head and tried to help me just understand what addiction, you know, is for him. And right. he said to me, you know, I would really like to be able to help people someday. You know, I, I want to be able to share my story, and I want to be able to help others. And he had a chance to speak one time to the, uh, it's called the 24-Hour Club here in mm-hmm. Dallas, and he had a chance to speak to a room full of people struggling with uh, substance abuse and addiction. So I know he would be, he would be so, um, he would be grateful that his story is being shared because he would tell me, I don't want people to be like me. I don't want kids to use substances and struggle like me. Right, right. That, that, that's, that's deep. We will, we were going to, we're going to go to break now and, um, I'll process that through my mind because that, you know what I mean? Like that's just, uh, from, from the, from the mouse of babes in a sense of, you know what I mean? I don't want people to be like me and I want to share my story and Mm -hmm. as tragic a story it is, I mean, he's getting to share it. We'll be back in a moment. Dial 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. We'll be back in a moment. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with host Nancy Kerala. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. Together with her guests, we'll explore C. diff infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, we're back. And during the break, I was uh, telling Suzanne and Ellen that sometimes like when I'm speaking to um, people who have lost loved ones, I get kind of, I get like my my heart to my throat and I don't really know what to say because this could be my mother's story. Uh, Fortunately, today it is not. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, like I, my hat is off to you for standing up and, and, you know, being counted and, and sharing Hayden's story and sharing your family's story, because I don't know where my family would be if ultimately, you know, I, I was taken away from them because when I got clean, it was a different a different world. I mean, addiction in 1989 and addiction today, we have that many more tools to be able to cope with what's going on today than we did in 1989. And I know that there's families out there of friends that I lost that never really recovered. And there are people, I guess, today that lose loved ones and never really recover. But I commend you for 
saying, you know, that no, that's not going to be my story. I'm going to share Hayden's story like he wanted me to. Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I think something that's a quote that really helped me when we had lost him and we were as a family healing and, and trying to find comfort in various ways. And then I heard the quote that someone said, um, you will never get over the loss, but you will learn how to deal with the loss. And to me, that was almost like a weight off my shoulders. I was like, okay, it's okay for me not to get over the loss. Because you can't expect, you know, I, none of us can expect someone who has lost someone so dear and so close to them to just get over it. I mean, and so it was mm-hmm. comforting to me to know that I don't have to get over the loss, but I am learning how to deal with it. And when you learn how to deal with something, there's growth there and there's um, hope and there is healing that continues to happen. And when you have a hope because you have other people around you that love you and you're living for them, then you find strength to move on and you find strength to, to go on another day. And you have to just look into your other kids' eyes or your, your spouse's eyes or maybe it's your, your grandparents' eyes or your, your, you know, whoever it is. And you have to realize that, that life can still be, be lived even after you do lose someone. And um, it's okay to live. I think that's the hardest thing is there was the guilt that, you know, goodness, my son is gone and um, I'm still getting to live on. And mm-hmm. so it is tough. And I think we just have to remember that it's okay and that the one that you, that you lose would want you to be happy and not, not continue to suffer from their loss. Mm, to to heal yourself to heal yourself how long how long did it take you and what did you like i don't want to say how long did it take you to get better because like you said nobody you don't really get better from it that wouldn't be the right uh phrase to use how long did it take you to process to a point where i need to share my story Uh, i would say a probably a you know at least a year um, I think within that, that year, that the, the first six months that we lost him, I think um, what helped me was I would actually write to him. I would actually write to my son, Hayden. I would write about him um, as far as just like a poem or I would find myself writing a song, maybe writing some lyrics. And um, I think, you know, that helped me heal just... Um, just the release for me, I mean, of course I cried, of course I cried a lot, but the release for me just to write things down on paper and whether I kept it or maybe I, you know, wrote something down and then I I threw it away to let it go or, um, so for me that was, that was therapeutic for me just to start that in the, the first, I would say six months and then as time went on and I began thinking more about it and I began just writing things down that I remembered. And then um, I would say maybe about a year into that, um, I actually began to speak to parents. Um, I spoke to a group of parents at a school and then I also spoke to a group of students who were had been pulled out of their high school and they were struggling with substance abuse. And I started telling them our story or, or more or less my son's story and um, I just decided to, to try to continue writing and I, one thing led to another and then in, in 2016 when the opioid crisis made the news 
I really felt an urgency at that point. It was like, okay, I have, I have to sit down. I have to try to write this. And that's when I began to really sit down and, and focus on it. And then I would put it away because I didn't feel like I could do it. And then I would pull it back out. And then at one point, I just began to, to move forward and uh, was able to to get it, the whole thing down on paper, even though I had to, I had to reach back into my mind and I had to pull out the really painful moments, mm-hmm. but I knew it was going to be worth getting it on paper and being able to share it. If, if even, you know, one person can be helped, um, it was, it was worth it. Right. Now, were you a writer before? Like, did you jot down notes and throw them away and all of that stuff? Or, or is this something that came over you after the loss of your son? Yeah, it's something that came over me after the loss of my son. Um, I was, you know, completely dedicated to my kids and being a full-time mom. Um, I also liked interior decorating, and so I was, I was more focused, you know, also just on uh, making the house look pretty. And um, you know, my husband and I had built some homes together, and so I loved the whole um, home developing and construction. And never really thought ever that I would be an author and write a book, but the passion that I felt, um, you know, after after everything we had gone through, and then the passion I began to feel about wanting to to just make others aware of what this looks like and and all the trouble that we went through, that passion for me became um, now my now my mission. Um, but that helped me write the book and be able to to share the story. Um, and I am I'm speaking to other people now. I'm I'm I mean I should say I'm talking with other people, and I'm also speaking um, at engagements that I can can be a part of just to continue to to bring the education and awareness. And I've started trying to um, create a curriculum for teachers and students and parents. Mm. It's called IMAP, uh, but that's a whole nother <laughs> whole nother talk probably. But it stands for I Make a Plan, um, and my goal is to have everyone start preparing when their kids are young and when their families are young and start being aware of, of what could happen just in case something does happen to someone they love or their kid. Right, because there are so many different gutches out there. It doesn't even necessarily need to be active addiction. There are so many other gutches out there that we are not prepared. Like you said, we're, we're a happy family and then all of a sudden, boom. You know, um, and I, I, I don't necessarily know. Um, I'm just going to speak from from my experience and my story. I didn't jump right into heroin use. I, I, I progressively, you know, went through all the different levels, like like a common kid back did back then. Um, but I know today that it's it's like really different. Like they they escalate right past where I ever was and they're, um, you know, immediately in their grandmother's cabinet or, you know, because, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, the scary thing about that is, is there is no, um, there's no time. All of a sudden it's bang right in your face. And I mean, I think my mother suspected something many years before I ultimately told her I was a heroin addict. You know, she knew that I was smoking marijuana and drinking and stuff like that. But today, kids, you see them, they're okay. And then a month later, you go like, wow, what happened? You know, and yeah. they, and they're like right straight out. And um, mm-hmm. it's it's just scary. 
so I, so I think it's cool that you're 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 trying to put something in motion to be able to give enlightenment to people at it you know earlier on in the stages of of uh, adolescence or even you know with with mothers fathers older sisters older brothers to be able to have the awarenesses because the the we live in such a i don't want to say throwaway but we live in such a disposable society we don't really notice it today until it is right in our face mhm and i think that's that's important to you know to understand is that I know specifically for us that there were a lot of clues that that I did not understand what I was finding. I didn't understand what I was coming across, and I didn't understand, um, you know, anything about synthetic drugs. And, you know, for me to find household items that my son was actually using um, and not know what they were for or... You know, in my book, I I do discuss this. And then on my website, I also have the IMAP for parents on there. And it is a Mm -hmm. infographic that I had put together kind of showing that common household items that you can actually watch for or look for, as well as I do talk, uh, I show images of... um, of street drugs and synthetic drugs and then just signs and things to watch for with your kids. But I do think that a lot of times also that... Parents want to think that oh, it's just teens being teens, and um, right, yes, it's just right. a phase, and yes, they're just yes, going to drink yes, some yes, alcohol, yes. smoke some marijuana. When in fact, um, it it can go it can go south pretty quick for them, and they quickly can can get their hands on other things. Um, and so it's just you've got to know what's out there and what you know. I mean, marijuana is now laced with other can be laced with other substances. Um, synthetic drugs can be extremely dangerous and just as bad as their counterparts that they're trying to mimic. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of things that that I think parents need to, to understand now. You know, I don't want parents to wait. I want you to understand stuff now that can help your kid and help yourself. Well, I think, right. you know, for me, as a child of the 70s, I thought I knew everything. And boy, I sure didn't. And I think probably every generation of parents is going to be the same way. We have no idea what's really out there. We're basing it on probably a little bit of dated type of information. I know for me, even after getting hurled into this into this world, you know, and for me, the household items, missing spoons, missing aluminum foil, things like that, mm-hmm. um, but getting hurled into this world, I didn't know anything. I truly did not know anything. I didn't know anything about addiction. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know things that were crimes. You know that that ultimately ended up with my child being in jail several times. Just so many mm-hmm. things that I was completely ignorant of. With the mm-hmm. biggest sin, I think, on my part, being this doesn't happen to people like us. So you know, my assumption was, well, I'll just go to court with her, and they'll they'll see that she's from a nice family, and they won't do anything to her. <laughs> which is uh, (laughs) obviously not going to happen. And, you know, with good reason for the most part, although, you know, I could, I could spend a whole show going on and on about the war on drugs. But, um, Mm -hmm. one of the things that, that, that we were talking about during the break, and I don't, I don't know how much time we have left in this segment, but I think it's kind of interesting is, you know, there are kids that get into this and, and get out of it. And then there are kids that get into it and can't get out and get lost in it. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the difference in, I don't want to say the type of kid, but maybe, you know, the type of Well, let person. me, let, let, why don't you clarify that? When you say kids can get into it and get out of it, and yeah, some I mean, can there, and there can't. There are some like, kids that, that will experiment and, you know, maybe even be the cool kid that's doing a lot of stuff for a while, and then they stop. They, they could just stop and walk away from they it. They wake up one Whereas day and walk away, yeah. get caught up yeah. in it and can't. Well, and to me, that's, that's genetics and personality. Um, you know, I've, I've just continued to do, you know, read and, and, and try to learn as much as I can to try to understand it. Even when my, you know, when I finally started realizing all the issues my son was having, and then I think, um, you know, his personality, and a lot of times, you know, my husband and I talked about this, is a lot of times, you know, people with addiction, um, the, the entertainment side of them, the, the being funny, they're um, very, you know, they can light up a room, they can make others laugh, mm-hmm. and it's almost like, you know, you wonder, you know, I wonder if my son was in some way masking maybe the, the way he was feeling or the anxiety he was not sharing with us, and he didn't understand himself. He also had a little bit of a, a borderline personality disorder that we found out years into his substance abuse when a counselor was talking with him. So I, I begin to just really start looking at even those that we are losing today, you know, from overdose, the entertainers or the people who are funny or I don't know. I mean, it's just I don't know if personality traits um, can have a big part of, of uh, I think it's who a, might I think continue perso- to use and, and who might not. I think personality is, is a uh, major part in it. And we are... Um, Going to pick this up on the other side of the break because it, if I start talking now, we'll go over and I don't want to go over. So, somebody want to call, somebody wants to call in, dial eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. That's eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. We'll be back in a moment. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you tired of the healthcare system only treating your symptoms and never addressing the root cause? Discover how integrative medicine can resolve health issues through dietary and lifestyle changes and the use of natural supplements. Increase your energy, memory, mood, immune system, sexuality, and more. Join Dr. Sunil Pai and Maureen Sutton to help you take back your health with natural, evidence-based solutions. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Have you figured out what to attract in your life in order to make it successful? There are those who can and those who can learn. Your intensified energy gives you willpower to move the bar forward and be happy. Happy people spread their energy throughout their lives. And once they figure it out, go on to be successful at nearly everything they set their mind to. Join host Ellen Morano and her panel of guest experts and co-hosts on Generate Massive Energy for a Fulfilling Life. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. 
Tune in Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We got the power to change the world. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to miracles in recovery to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org now back to this week's show hey we have suzanne Holmkey with us and she is the author of healing scarred hearts and the other stuff yeah. is like way too small. A family story of addiction, loss, and finding light. And you know, just just by listening to you, um, you're not joking with the finding light because I don't necessarily know where I would be if I were in your shoes. And I, and I commend you for that. But we were talking before we went to break about um, you know how some people can pick up a substance and walk away, and others can't. Um, and you had mentioned that personality may have, may play a role in that. And just to share my, um, understanding of who I was when I chose to use, uh, you know, they, they told me that I was, you know, an ADD child. I had attention deficit disorder and they put me on Ritalin and, um, ultimately once I started progressing through the levels of addiction, when I found heroin, I found silence. My body slowed down. The clock wasn't ticking anymore. And um, my personality, I, I know, changed because I wasn't that erratic kid anymore. You know, So it affected my personality. I don't necessarily know if I did it because of the personality that I, that I had, but I do know that it affected me and it was something that I mentally embraced even before I physically embraced. I, I tell, um, Ellen this all the time that I was mentally addicted the first time I did it physically. It took a little while longer, but not really much longer because I wanted to do it every single day because it, it brought me to a comfortable space it allowed me to be able to that is exactly exactly what my daughter said the very first time yeah it it allowed me to la 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 you know here i am yeah it just allowed me to put all my thoughts in the order that they were supposed to be in you know and it took a long time for me after getting clean to filter through that and still even today i get i get still washed out a little bit but that's okay i mean i i know who i am and i know what i have to do to to make it through the day but once that substance was taken away from me all that all that chaos flooded back into into um 
my mindset. So I get it when I, I, I can't understand someone who can use for a couple of weeks and then not for a year and then for a couple of weeks. And, you know, it's almost like those people that, uh, you know, that can smoke cigarettes and put them down whenever they want. That was not me, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that, you know, in, in, in my case, I was going to go until I either hit a saturation point or the drugs or substance took me. And fortunately enough, I hit my saturation point before that happened. Um, well, but, but one of the it, things that Suzanne was saying is that, you know, the, the light of the room personality. And a lot of you, I always said, which, which crowd would you rather hang out with? The people that are in AA and NA or, or their spouses and families in Al-Anon and Naranon? You guys are over there having a ball. And yeah, we're all but a lot of people still biting and trying the to asses, figure out how, I mean? how to feel better. So there, there is something you know. There is the big personality part of it too. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I get it, but not while I was using. There was no big personality. No, but I, th- I think a lot of you guys are just you know the the sparkly, exciting, you know, center stage kind of people. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I, I think also just to make the point, um, since we're we're talking about that some people can use and, and just stop using, and then maybe they smoke and stop smoking. Um, you know, in, in in Hayden, actually, you know, when he finally began to understand his addiction and start to talk about it more and think about it more, it it was it made him mad. You know, he would say, "Well, my friends are doing this, and you know, they're not having troubles." And so he would, you know, he would say that to us um, off and on. Actually, even before he thought of himself as an addict, I should say. And so he would say this to us. But what we noticed, and I think here's the difference too, is that when someone you can't wait because, like with our son, we um, we waited a full like two years. He had been in, uh, using and using and using and getting in trouble and being punished and get caught using again and get caught using again. And this went on for a full two years before we actually really started getting him some counseling and trying to um, maybe get him some help and try to understand what was going on. And so I think, you know, I think it has to be recognized earlier. I think things have to be done sooner. Like you can't just to say, well, he's just, you know, he's being a bad kid. He keeps, you know, trying this because when you've got someone who keeps using substances, even though there was these really heavy consequences going on, you know, there's a problem. I mean, a kid doesn't like to be without their car and their friends and, you know, having, but for Hayden, Every time we found him again with marijuana, 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 just constantly bring it in in our house. Um, you know, when, and he knew he was going to lose his phone. He knew he would lose his car. He knew he would be grounded and stuck in his room. And so um, at some point, I mean, early on, you need to realize if, if they aren't stopping their use, even though they're miserable with the consequences, that to me is a, a big sign of addiction. At a very well, we early had, We had problems other than just substance, you know, with, with our daughter. It was, it was basically everything. 
you know, if if she was grounded and we put an alarm in the hall, she's going out the window of a two-story house. I, I right, believe. right. Extreme, yeah. extreme. Yes, taking extreme measures to keep using, even though they're getting in trouble. That's a big clue of addiction. Or, yeah, or a, you know, a tendency the, um, in that direction. You know, a lot of hers was meeting guys. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much substance abuse was going on early on. There must have been. I mean, it wasn't heroin at that point, but there must have been. There must have been sure. some very compelling reason to go out that window. Right. Right. Yeah, just because you said don't. Um, well, that too. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't because know. I, 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 I don't. I was constantly amazed at, you know, things that I would never have dreamed or imagined that she would do. She did. Right. Yeah, Especially but I think I, I don't necessarily start. know that that I don't necessarily know that that led her her personality led her into substance abuse. I don't think that it's something that you can pinpoint in a child and say, "Whoa, hoo, hoo, this kid's a little wacky. We better we better put him under lock and key." You know, no, but I, I, I do it, think you know, like you said, the ADD and the ADHD kids. I have never met an addict who told who didn't tell me they were diagnosed with one of those. Never. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know I something that, else that's, that's funny. A, that's that, a, a big watch. You know, be very careful with these yeah. children. Well, you know what else is yeah. funny, and, and I've said this before as well, that the majority, um, not the majority, but when I grew up, I was the only left-handed kid in school. And I've met more recovering addicts that are left-handed than not. You know, well, that's and, and interesting. yeah, it is. And, and, and that would be that would be a crazy thing to do a study on because like we were all, one, we were all these left handers when I was in school. But two, is it something that is, you know, like a right brain, left brain mm-hmm. type thing as well? Could you be. know, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it very well could be. There's so much need for more research, more studies, yeah. you know, just just more ways to under try to understand. I mean, I strongly believe that, that there's more to come oh, I agree know, for you. addiction research and, um, and help. So, you know, I just hope, um, I hope people keep moving in that direction. And I mean, I was so desperate, you know, at one point that I was researching brain surgery for my son. I mean, that probably sounds a little bit, you know, crazy, but mm-hmm. I was just thinking, you know, what is it going to take for him not to use, you know, if we were able to go in there and like alter his brain a little bit, you know, and then I found an article that they're actually researching this in China. There's a doctor that's researching that, you know, so it's just when you're desperate, you, you know, you just want, you want help and you want there to be a solution and answer. And so it's just so, so important that they keep doing research and studying and and trying to make sense of, uh, and not thinking of it as, as a moral failure. I think that's been one of the reasons because addiction has been with us forever. You know, I guess probably since the beginning of time when somebody figured out they could alter their consciousness and, uh, it's not a moral failing. That's, that's, and I think that's one of the reasons that. Well, I mean, well, it's, in, it's the sense of, in the sense of we it, just don't understand it. In the sense of it not being a moral failure, or or a, it it does become um, one of the crosses that we bear, you know, because because given the 
given the emotional terrorism that we used to stay to, to stay using, um, in my case, morally, a lot of the things that I did kept me running in the sense of once once I started using and I started doing the things that I didn't want to do, um, that was proper justification to get high again, to run and hide from that. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. it does become, you know, now granted, looking at it from outside in, no, it's not a moral, it's not a moral issue at all. We do bad things. Good people do bad things when they're, when they're active addicts. But mm-hmm. for me, being an active addict, the, the things, I, I knew better. I, I had, my morals were stuck in a closet. And every once in a while, that door jarred open and reminded me, um, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I just ran harder and deeper. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough cycle to be running down the road trying to figure this thing out, whatever it is that I was trying to figure out. And in the back of my mind, say my mother's mouth saying, you know, or my mother's voice saying, you know, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing, son. You know, so I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation. And, and I get, I get the uh, despair of watching an addict because I've, you know, had the opportunity to do that. But like thinking back at, at what I put my family through, like I know my sister listens to my show every single week. She's, on, she's, she's one of my biggest champions. And, and I wouldn't have gotten clean if it wasn't for her picking me up and dusting me off. You know, so, I, the, the, you know, there has to be some kind of love. There has to be some kind of caring. And I see all too often families just push the addicts away because they don't know how to deal with it. Well, and you're sort of told to do that, too, which I've Mm -hmm. I've fought against. Which is wrong. A lot of the recovery groups say, oh, you're an enabler. You've got to just, you know, basically shut the door on them and let them go out there and they'll either fail or they'll get better. I don't like that. I don't like that as a solution at all. Well, we only have about two minutes left. So, Suzanne, what I want you to do again is is uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you through Facebook, through your website, where they can purchase your book, and um, okay. what you have coming up in the future where somebody may be able to go listen to you sh- uh, speak or something. Okay, sure. So, again, um, Healing Scarred Hearts can be found at healingscarredhearts.com. It can also be found at addictionimpacts.com. And I do have a Facebook page. Um, also, if you search in Facebook, if you just search Healing Scarred Hearts, it will pull up my Facebook page. And I like to, uh, I, I write and I do articles on there. And then on my website, I also offer blogs, which I am, um, I'm right now, and I, I'm hoping that that can offer some hope and healing and education as well. Um, you can also find on my website that the events that will be coming up, um, I am going to be speaking to um, a group of parents, um, the McKinney ISD in McKinney, Texas. I will be there at the, they're doing a, um, it's called Backpacks, Bedrooms, and Beyond, and it's trying to help mm-hmm. parents how to recognize, you know, what is substance abuse and what could be found in your kid's backpack or your room. 
So that'll, that'll be coming up. And then um, also the I Make a Plan, I'll be releasing the short film that we created this summer where my two daughters are actually speaking in it. And it is to launch the um, IMAP, which is I Make a Plan, and it's mapping the way to be drug-free. And we're going to have school districts and teachers and um, and parents start to to use this as well and um, hope to bring more education and awareness through through IMAP. Cool. So now we have 30 seconds left. <laughs> okay, so <sorry>. we're, <laughs> we're going to need to have you come back on the show again and um, because you, you, you have so much knowledge and, and awareness that uh, we need our audience to um, hear. So with that, uh, I, I, sure. I thank you for coming. Stay on the line. Uh, Ellen? With Miracles in Recovery, hope is in your corner. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Stay well. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.